This podcast could potentially have adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly the possibility of sexual content. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Drinking With Authors fans. We have some pretty big news from your host here, Erica Lance. We are moving to change the format of the show to be one episode. So there's a few episodes that record the old way that we're doing the new way. And that's what you're listening to. So thank you. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And we love having you as fans. On to the show. Welcome to Drinking with Authors. I am your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is the hopefully actually stays on the podcast, Valerie Willis. We'll see if it's storming where she is. And our guest today is William Joseph Roberts. Welcome. You're brave to have me on here. Yeah. (laughs) Brave, drunk, you know. Okay. Let's talk about what we're drinking. Um, In some drinking with author swag, I actually um, make cherry, cherry limeade, but I use limeade and then I put Tennessee whiskey uh, Tennessee Moonshine Company cherries in it. Oh, okay. Like a boss. I put four cherries in this and the cherry juice. I'm super excited. You can kind of see the color. <laughs> okay, Val, what are you drinking? I am finishing off the Sweet Bitch Mango Moscato because that was actually pretty good the last time I had it. So, good. Uh, good. Val can jar. <laughs> why we can't have nice things what, what will you be pre- she has to have that she breaks her glasses all the time <laughs> so, with that? Hey, if i hadn't finished off the jar i'd had the jar of moonshine from the last batch that we made up over here so you should tell the audience what you are drinking well should be able to see the color pretty good yes. this is about a two and a half three year old Blackberry sack mead. It's right at 40 proof. Um, made with actually this batch was with honey from our hives, uh, blackberries from my blackberry bushes. And all I do is honey, water, yeast, fruit. That's it. I don't add anything extra because it doesn't need it. I let the fermentation run full out and I use the champagne yeast. So I get uh, high test hooch on a ferment only. That is brilliant. I'll have to keep that in mind. My boyfriend said, what are you going to do with the honey from your hives? And I'm just keep making a list. And he's like, why did this all involve alcohol? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, now I can give you some stupid, easy recipes. It, it literally takes 20 minutes to put a batch of mead together. And then all you got to do is just forget it for a few months. Perfect. I will be reaching out separately to ask these questions. Inquiring minds want to know, hey, listen. This is going to become important during the zombie apocalypse because there's not going to be a liquor store. So exactly, and you know, there's so many things that you can ferment and make into booze. Have you ever heard of the green parrot? No, No. it's a prison drink, and they use uh, like the mint lifesavers. They'll crush those up and they'll use those as the uh, uh, the sugar base. And they'll make a little thing out of, you know, using like bread yeast just to get the fermentation going. Huh. Well, nice. you learn new things every day here on Drinking With <laughs> <laughs> You know, the, we we got a little like, um, it's not quite a farmstead, just a little half acre gardening spots and all that. You know, I've got, I got figs, 
apples, cherries, blueberries, blackberries, the kiwi, 10 years in the ground. And I have fruit all over those kiwi vines finally. Um, was it aronias? I got bananas, uh, pomegranates. So now wow. I know where we're going. Plums. <laughs> During the apocalypse. But you know, we set this stuff up because I ferment things. And what we don't eat with fresh fruit, then I can turn it around all the excess and turn it into something. I, that's great. That is fantastic. Um, okay, before we get too sidetracked, usually it takes us more than a moment to do that. But what do you write? Um, I write anything the evil mind scrolls demand of me. Okay. So sci-fi, horror, fantasy, urban fantasy, post-apocalyptic. It it just depends. I mean, I'm all over the board. I've, I've eaten. I even wrote a smut piece that I won't really talk about too much because it's just like I had to get it out of my system. Like, hey, can I write this? Sure. It's crap. I mean, it's absolute just smut. There's no romance to it. But there's a sci-fi element, and I might finish it up eventually. I think that's great. Um, it's from two other writers who write smut that doesn't have romance with it necessarily. We get it. I don't know. And my Sasquatch lures her into his camp with bacon. I think there's plenty of romance to be said well, about that. And the worst part was, you know, I had this idea and I'd started writing it and I had some of the minions look it over and give me some input. And uh, we were at Fantasy last year uh, in, in 22. And um, it was the grab a question out of the hat and answer it. Like, what does sex with an alien look like was the first thing that got grabbed out of the hat. And I started to open my mouth and all the minions in the audience were like, no, like, um, um, I didn't even say anything yet. What? What? Oh, God, I wish I was on that. <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> I would have been doing the lean up to the microphone thing. <laughs> Let me explain. Everybody hold on to your butts. Everyone get closer. <laughs> <laughs> Need to get real close to the mic. Make it really inappropriate. Awkward. Um. Very cool. When did you begin your journey as a writer? 20, 30 years ago. I mean, I wrote all all during like junior high, grade school, high school, went off in the military. I was writing things. I was doing comics and just no idea what to do with it, how to do it. Um, I actually started my first official novel in like 2001. Um, a fantasy novel, which I lost access to, and now I've got access to it again. Never password protect, read and write with thumbprint scanner because equipment dies and you forget passwords. So yeah, yeah, that's a thing. Recover. We we recovered the files finally, uh, so I can get back in there and do that that series. Um, but for years I struggled. You know, I joined up with the Chattanooga Writers Guild here in Chattanooga, and that added to the struggle. A lot of what they were marking and telling me uh, I was doing wrong was really because they were more geared toward literary and poetry, not uh, pulp fiction. Yeah, and it's it's. We talked. I love that you said that because that's a thing that does come up, and I say this about writing critique groups. You can lock into great writing critique groups and like you know find your tribe, and then you can have people that. This is where they've come to lord over other humans and crush your hopes and dreams because and, they don't get it. And that's exactly what it was. And yeah. they were happy 
doing their thing, maybe getting something published, maybe not, but it was more of, they wanted to be able to talk about it, but nobody really shared anything to help progress in the craft or progress in the business. It was all about me, 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 me. So, uh, well, one, one of the minions, one, one of my good friends, Jenny Wren, she went and hid away. It took me years to get her back out to even talk to me about writing because they had just damaged her so much. Um, yeah. And I, I just washed my hands of the Writers Guild. Um, a good friend of mine, he actually told me about Liberty Con and that first convention, 2017, um, that was my first convention ever, period. I learned so much in that weekend. And that's when my switch got flipped. I got I walked out of there with an invite to an anthology. Mm-hmm. I I just it was game on. Um, you know, so that would be the official official, I guess, for the writing. Where you went from hobbyist to let's really think about this right. as a career kind of vibe. You know, yeah, and that, that's it. A lot of us have right, you know, grew up writing stories. I I have a shelf behind me of stuff from elementary school and high school of things that I wrote but thinking about it professionally took a a that pivotal moment in introduction and uh and yeah and once you find and tap into the right source man you you do you go to some of these conferences and you you come back with an adrenaline rush and drive like no other and and that convention, uh, Charity Ayers had done a writing workshop. And it was one of those, you know, we talked about all this different stuff. And then here's your 15 minutes. Write me a scene. Okay. And I sat down and wrote a scene. And that scene is actually in the short story that I got published in that anthology I was invited to. Nice. But uh, after we got done writing it, she's like, okay, well, who wants to read theirs? And uh, so I read mine. And at the end of it, she's like, oh, my dear God, that was so good. And you, have you ever thought about doing radio? And I told her, uh, don't ever mention that again. I don't want to hear that because that got me into trouble. <laughs> in a previous lifetime, before my pen name, William Joseph Roberts, I was writing under Timothy Dean. And I'd started the podcast, Timothy Dean blog, and, and the podcast for it and all this and that. Trying to set myself up for promotion before I even had anything ready. Well, that sidetrack really became a sidetrack. I wasn't writing. I was busy podcasting. But, you know, it, it came close to ending in a, a marriage, too. Um, oh, wow. Oh. That escalated. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that escalated big time. I'm seriously ADHD, and I will hyper-focus on something like no man's business. But um, cancer came along and ended the podcast. You know, I had a writing group that was the same kind of critique group as all the others at that time. That ended. We focused more on family. We, you know, took care of the kids. Um, and then once I found out about Liberty Con, you know, it's like, hell yeah, let's do this. And we went to it. It was awesome. And, you know, I just learned so much. I mean, I, I came back the next year to Liberty Con. We had that anthology. I got on panels. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Uh, okay, I'm on a panel. Sure. Um I walked out of that. That's exactly how the first time feels. Like, I don't know how I ended up here, but I'm here. Right. You know, I I walked out of that one with invites for three novels. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay. Um, Which I completed two of the novels. And uh, in the process, I ended up writing my 
my first novel, uh, Flux Runners. But it just it's it's progressed since then. And then over the pandemic, you know, I published Flux Runners, which was my first novel. Um, stupid adult comedy, sci-fi, chaos in a box. It, I had to write that to get it out of my system before I could write anything serious. Um, so if you like a lot of adult humor and just chaos in space, that yeah, Firefly on crack turned up to 11. Um, <laughs> I love it. But I started Three Ravens Publishing with my two partners, RJ Layden and Benjamin Tyler Smith, to publish the stuff that we didn't want to give away. And then subsequently just started opening the doors and helping others to take that step up. It's like, well, I got the platform. Why not? And you know, I love that you said that too, because that's what we did. We have four yeah. horseman publications and we started it together because we were tired of how authors were treated. Yeah. And we're like, we can do this differently. We've we do got this, this. Better. you know, and I love finding other publishers that have that. And luckily I feel like we're at a time where there are some people really, truly stepping up and doing it the right way and not, there are some that are stepping it up and doing the wrong way. And um, you still get the vanity presses. You still get those that think they want to be publishers and then they kind of fall by the wayside. And now all their authors have to find a new home for their works. And I've had more than a few come to us with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, that that's sad. I don't ever want to do that to anyone because I want my stuff to be out there too. And yeah. if Ravens rolls up, it's going to be for a damn good reason. Um, well, and you know, the thing is too, is that if you educate your authors as part of that process, so they're not, you're not just doing stuff for them. You're bringing them along going, you need to understand how this works because yeah. that's the only way we're going to expand ourselves yeah. is, you know, there's never going to be just one book publisher. And if you go in with the mentality that you're going to take over something versus enhance it and do it better and then create a community where everybody's doing it. Right. And and that's what really what I've tried to, to build is a, a community. Um, you know, we, when we do our edits, and a lot of this stemmed from my writing group here because I started a writing group back up in 19 after a bunch of the original members of my writing group were like, hey, when are we going to do the group again? When are we going to do the group again? I'm like, I don't want to. It, it's never ending. Nothing comes out of it. It's not productive. I don't want to waste my time spending my wheels. And then I really started thinking about it a lot more. I'm like, you know, we can do it. We can do it. And it's going to be a self-help group. We're not going to do critiques. I'm never going to do critiques again because it's useless. You you do you critique the same freaking thing every month. It's it's a waste of time. So we started to get together and just sharing information, how tos. Hey, this this anthology is looking for stuff. This magazine's looking for stuff. Did anybody hear about this convention? You know, we're sharing all that kind of information, and then we turned it into let's do something with this, and we started publishing flash fiction collection within the group. And in the process of that, we took the, the submitted files, put them on Google Docs. Now everybody has access to all the files, go in and bleed on them. That way we could all see what's being bled and who's catching what. And it, it honestly helped me to catch my mistakes because now I'm looking for other things. This guy has this problem. Do I do that? This one has this problem. Do I do that? 
And, and everybody in the group has progressed in one way or another, some faster than others, some slower. Um, but we try to help to adjust the learning curve so that they can grow in the craft. We try to share the information to grow in the, in the, uh, the, the business of it. And so taking that same kind of thing and applying it to Three Ravens, you know, I try to share information with all the authors. We've got our Discord server. We run sprints all through the day, you know, at like 0300, 0400, me or Dave are usually on there kicking it off. And then Bonsai jumps in after us. So we, you know, we got to go clock in for the day job. He starts the next set of sprints. He's running till like 10 o'clock. About noon, somebody else jumps in and starts running sprints. So, and, and we're sitting there, we're bouncing ideas back and forth. Hey, I need help with this research. Does anybody know anybody that does this, knows how to drive a tank? You know, and, and we we try to foster that. Um, and, you know, even on, um, well, <laughs> you guys heard of Authors Published before? I believe I so, yes. Now. Okay. <laughs> It's a website that puts all this information out about publishers. About who's accepting anthologies, what literary right. magazines and things well, like that. Yes. They did an article on us a little while back, a couple of weeks back. And all of a sudden I got a flood and I got over 350 submissions and wow. our slush pile jumped by about 160. And traditionally we've tried to give some kind of input of whether we like it or we don't. What don't we like about it? You know, without going into extreme edits or anything, you know, because we have limited time. And I understand why the big boys don't give feedback because it takes time and time is money. But we try to give at least a little something of it didn't catch us. The the characters were cardboard, blah, you know, something at least to give them some kind of feedback that they can grow with. With this flood of submissions, it's going to be a little bit harder, but we're still trying to give some kind of feedback. Well, as long as you set the date out for them too, that's one thing when our submission thing went up more like the amount they're submitted, we just went, okay. And one of the things that I think is always good is scaling things. (laughs) That's awesome. Scaling things so that you can continue to go, okay, that was cute when we got this many, but now we have to alter it so we can do this many. But I think feedback or saying we due to the number of submissions we are unable to give feedback blah 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 but but i think one of the biggest things out there is when you send your work off and it goes into a black hole you don't know when you're going to hear back on your work yeah and you you know i always tell the story of one of the when i submitted um gosh 18 years ago i got a copy of a copy of a copy of a rejection letter (laughs) <laughs> oh god they literally had not just you couldn't take the time to print it out or have a, a set copy and copy it on a copy machine they had copied it so you kind of see the um uh copy like shifting you know <laughs> like and so it was crooked on the page it was like a third of a page of a rejection letter crooked on the page because it had been copied so many times and, and that's go <laughs> okay you know what uh like if you don't like my stuff that's fine you don't have to publish whatever but when it comes to the fact that it's not even being looked at at all right yeah and it's just auto because when you send something out and less than a week later you get a rejection letter now obviously it's different digitally but still 
I can tell you as a publisher, I'm sure you can say as a publisher, unless they're very tiny and they're just starting out, one week you get a rejection letter, they didn't fucking look at it. Or you didn't follow the submission guidelines. Now that that is something, you know, we've had a lot that didn't follow submission guidelines. Um, We're not accepting collections or poetry right now just because it doesn't make any money. And, you know, time is money. So unless it really hooks me on the theme, uh, I, I just, I can't, I can't justify it. Yeah. No, no. There are definitely an issue with a lot of these submissions coming in. Um, some of the topics, and, and you know, I, I, I said this on um, the Star Chamber show the other night when I did an interview with them. It really irks me that people are sending in these submissions and they think that they've got to check boxes off. And honestly, I'm about to the point where I'm going to change the submission guidelines to where remove your name from the submission before it goes into the slush pile. I do not care about this or this or this. I honestly don't care about your publication list. I want to know about this story that you're sending in because just because you've got this list of things that you've been published in doesn't mean you're any good. It yeah. doesn't mean it's the bill, you know? So when, when they start going down this whole list, like they're checking all the boxes off, I really don't want to accept it because are they trying to get in on the list or are they trying to get in on the merit of the work? And I care about the merit of the work. I want a story that is going to hook me and take me on an adventure. Yeah. Well, and agreed. it, it should be about whether or not no matter who they are, because I can start listing author names that are quite well known that I don't think they can write. I would never publish them. Me and Val have had those conversations. Yell, James, no <laughs> fucking way in hell. Thank you. No, no. And, and you know, some, some of that, I will go and say that depending on what your influence is, some of the stuff getting submitted, um, Jenny Wren, I rejected her novel because of the style of writing and the more i thought about it it's like this this really sounds like her the way that she's describing the world and the setup and all this and that and i'd never read pern before so i grabbed a copy you know it's got the first three books in it and i started reading it and i had to force my way into two chapters the telling style just i i don't like it I like to be immersed into the the action and all that's going. You know, I, I cut my teeth on Robert Howard and Conan. <laughs> yeah. So you know, the third person, uh, third person omniscient, but there's all this action going on. So if you're just telling me a laundry list of what's going on, I'm like, ah. but you can see that in the influence of, of of the writer when you start reading their works. Right. That's so yeah. true. And and I say this phrase often, my team cracks up and they're like, but this is so true, is that in publishing, authors have to remember as a publisher stance, my job is to sell to today's reader, not yesteryear's fan. Exactly. Right? During Tolkien and Frankenstein, these long narratives and purple prose were a, what they preferred. And now we're into, you better hook me so freaking hard in the first line or you're out. Yeah. Like 
I want to feel like I rushed to get on the train because I'm running late and realize I'm on the wrong train. I don't know where I'm going, but this is exciting, right? Like I, I, I'm stuck for the ride now. You know, that that's, and Sarissa Hernandez makes that analogy all the time when she talks to people about their first pages mm-hmm. and that first chapter. Um, the industry, you know, changes. And as a publisher, it's our responsibility to let authors know and to set those grounds of engagement, right? We were talking about submissions, right? And then feeling like a checklist. Like what worked 10 years ago or even three years ago or last year isn't going to work for today. And you have to be on that pulse. Don't submit work to a publisher who doesn't publish poetry. You're going to get a rejection. You're just setting yourself up failure before submitting, right? Take the time Look at who you're submitting your work to. You should be doing that anyway, because this is a job interview, baby. Your book is your resume and we're the hiree. And if it doesn't match the job or feel like it's going to get the job done, it's not going to get the job. Right. right? And, and so I, I talk about this all the time. So and I'm just I'm just excited. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and you know, the pitch is important. I mean, I've had those come in that there's nothing in the body of the email. There's there's a subject line submission for three ravens. That's it, with an attachment like, okay, is it for one of our open call anthologies? Is it a novel? What's the story? Do I even care at this point? And then I've had I had one that um, well with that that flood of submissions, you know, we started looking at things right off, and there were some that we rejected right off because it was like, okay, well the pitch is good, but the writing just didn't hold up. You know, I couldn't even get through the first page. Uh, but there was one that the pitch alone made me want to go read it. And as I was taking the god-awful number of submissions and just put them into the file, um, um, I marked that one for me to read, for me to review. And sure enough, I got in there, I started reading it. I was nine chapters in. It's like, I didn't even want to edit any of this. Yes. And I turned around, contacted him to find out what the info was. And it was a repub. He had pubbed it, published it himself through a service, and and I had to wrap my head around that one. It wasn't a vanity press, but at the same time, it, I it was a publishing service where they they help you edit, they get your cover, they publish mm-hmm. it for you, and then turn over the keys so you can run it. Yeah, yep. It's a, it's it's a whole new side of the industry called author services. Yeah, and usually it's a subsect or a. Uh, section of a vanity press because vanity press is being outdated the offset printing aspect is no longer working for them so this is what their pod side looks like and you pay a package and you can choose to pay for editing you could choose for them to do your cover and all these other things but they set it loose and, and they use their publishing name so you're under their umbrella but they'll, it's pay to play, baby, you know, yeah. kind of vibe. And then you pay annual feed to keep your book live on on the whatever channels they have. Well, this one, it reverted as soon as it went live. They okay. got, got the keys back. Um, so all he had to do was, all right, so we take it down. He sent it to me, sent book two in. He's in work on book three. Um, you know, and it, it was a beautiful story. So you, you get those diamonds in the rough but that initial it's just like meeting somebody for the first time that initial meeting that initial greeting that you give to somebody that's going to set the tone for how this goes 
Hey, listeners, you know me, Eric Lance. You're just listening to me in the podcast that you have. But guess what? I'm doing something new. Yeah, she's joining me, Mark Muncy, the author of the Erie, Florida book series in Erie, Appalachia. And we are hosting a new podcast called Erie Travels. Woo-woo, Erie Travels, which covers things like ghosts, cryptids, weird stuff, UFOs, men in black, all kinds of fun things that people talk about and I'm sure you've discussed with friends. Yep, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice or find us at eerietravels.com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness. And of course, Mark, what do we always say? We'll see you on the other side. No, I haven't hung around you yet, but I have the feeling it would be for hours and hours and hours. Oh, um, you, you, you know that evil mind squirrel comment that I made? Yeah, that's that's not a lie, man. I was on a, a a call earlier today, and I had somebody join, and and it's about events and marketing. And he's like, "This is set up to be a really long call," and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm having you in the beginning part, but you don't understand. Me and the person talking have to put guardrails around ourselves because that happens." Okay. always dogs we've already seen a child in the background it's fine at least my child in his underwear hasn't showed up for this one so i'm doing pretty good i'm doing pretty good dogs had a bark because mom was home yeah Yeah, no the oldest just got dropped off at the the school dance oh see we're we we have mine are locked upstairs is the only reason but you may hear them in a minute barking welcome to working from home Life happens. Okay. So before we get squirreled again, shiny object. Um, so you started a publishing company. Um, how, but, and when you first did it, did you do the publishing company when you first published or did you go a slightly different route? Um, honestly, I started three Ravens in, it was April of 19. And I published one of my short stories first for the Flux Runners Universe as a test run um, in October, just to to get my feet wet on Amazon. Um, and then I proceeded to, to I'm, boy, I'm doing an interview here. Look, 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 you're, you're in. Turn your ass around. You see this? Hi. Hi. You're, Hi. you're on YouTube now. You're That's awesome. You're YouTube famous is the Muppet Man. being a parent is fun by now (laughs) um so okay so i i I published um closet cases was was the first one it was a trey and fergus story from flux runners just to just test the waters get my feet wet figure out what what i'm doing um and then i turned around in november and published flux runners novel um through Ingram for the print and the hardback and um, put the ebook over on Amazon. And from there, it's started picking up stuff in uh, 2020, slowly progressing, you know, people had stuff like, okay, cool. Sure. Let's do this. And, and it just kept growing, you know, in the meantime, I was writing other novels and, um, 
then we started doing and thought, well, I was writing novels, writing short stories for anthologies while building the platform that is Three Ravens and ended up the uh, JTF universe. I wrote the first novel in that series that Canon Publishing had done. It wasn't turning out to be what he wanted it to be. So he signed it over to me since I had the first novel in it. Well, and that's cool. I've got the JTF universe now that that's part of Three Ravens. Um, you know, it's just been growing since. So as an author, so it's interesting because all three of us are publisher authors, like publisher authors. So we, I, you know, I, and podcasters. So look at us. Look, look at us. Both oh, look at us doing things. All the things. Editors. No, I am. No. I am not an editor. No, no. I do developmental edits, but I tell them, do not trust me on my commas. <laughs> we, we we have PhDs in English literature that are our editors because guess what? That's not something I do The word which takes care of the, all the grammar and punctuation that I screw up. I'm the tech guy. I'm the one that's going to tear apart your science. And, you know, no, it's not a clip, you dumbass. No, there's only two guns in the world that use a clip. You know, that kind of stuff. That That's what I catch. And then the flow, the head hops, that I catch that all day long. But yeah, I'll never get the commas right. No, that I no, no, that's not that is not our part of the thing. We do we have a great epic team of editors, and most of them are English teachers. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because when you create something fun. It, it allows you to find the people that have the same passions you do and yeah. are good at things. I mean, I think that's one of the best things about creating a new business is, you know, um, find, find people smarter than you and then let them do what they do. <laughs> and so, um, but I'm, I'm curious, you know, coming from this and, and, and setting this up so many moons ago, right? And being an author in it, um, have you found uh, finding the balance easy or because oh, God, you said, no. yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, no. I mean, you know, my, my regular schedule is I get up at 0400. I write from 04 to 06. Then I clock into the day job. I've, I've been lucky that I've been home since 2020 uh, doing the day job and I'm still doing the day job. But then after that, I'm doing three Raven stuff, or if I can squeeze in some more writing, then I jump in some more writing. Um, you know, I, I'm a design engineer. So while SolidWorks is doing its thing and thinking sometimes, I can go ahead and have that title processing over on Amazon and loading up or, you know, I can do those little things during the day or during my lunch break. Um, or I can be on a phone call while doing the day job or answering emails, you know, while processes. So I, I multitask, you know, most of the time. Um, the wife has already said that I cannot be cloned. I'm not allowed to be. I don't know why, because I could get so much more done if I had a couple of clones running around, but she has deemed it as no. So, I um my boyfriend told me the reason why, because um the danger to the universe and multiplying me. So <laughs> and I don't think he meant in a like that would be so cool kind of way. I think he meant more like one of you would turn very evil and not be using your powers for good anymore. Uh, the biggest thing that I found balance wise is just general life. I mean, last year was really tough for us. Um, shortly after I got back from Superstars in February, 
square last year. Uh, my sister-in-law, her MS had flared up and that took a lot of time away with Meg and, and, and me doing things to help her and, and my brother-in-law, Pat, who had stage four cancer. And they, they were living downstairs with us. Um, we got a extra addition on the back of the house we put on for, for her uh, parents. And um, then her brother and his wife moved in there after the fact. Um, but as soon as we got her back to the house out of rehab and all that, and, and, um, getting her strength back up from the, the MS flare up, Pat went in the hospital. Oh, and it was the, uh, new chemo that they had started on him. They, they went ahead with a more aggressive and that was the start of the end. Um, oh. we basically finished Liberty con last year and uh turned around about the week after and we were i was taking care of hospice um had the funeral service the day before we left for uh, imaginarium turned around and went back to went up to imaginarium we had about a grand sunk into it we couldn't back out you know yeah so and that kind of thing really throws a wrench into the works um still had 16 titles published last year um, just from tenacity and getting it done as it, it it's easier to do the publishing stuff because you don't have to think so hard than it is to write in a situation like that when you've got all this other chaos going on yeah that helped me keep the progress going and keep things running um and it, it it's getting better now because we got you know she we moved her back up to Ohio, oh, uh, back to Ohio with her daughter, and got all that situated. Got things taken care of downstairs, and there's a child again. Boy, go that way. Um, he wants to be on TV. It's he wants to be famous. We've already told him he can't be the Joker. He looks too much like he. Yeah, he. <laughs> um. So, you know, we, we we finally got things straightened out to where it's running smooth again and we're getting back into our life and doing what we want. You know, we reclaimed some of the downstairs and more family has moved in. Um, so, you know, it, it's if just... If you build it, they will come. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, when we originally got this place, it was a 3,000 square foot house. It was just me and the wife. No one else. And we bought it knowing that we were going to be a stepping stone for family and friends. You know, at the most, we had 14 people living here. We were hot bunking at one time. But family were living here with us. They were just trying to get a, get started, get a leg up and um, make things better for themselves. Well, I, you sound like a very amazingly generous person. We are sorry for your loss. Um, I... I'm curious when it comes to writing, are you, cause you said you get hyper-focused, right? Can you just sit down and bang something out when you get the opportunity to do so? Yeah. I mean, I, if I can get away from everything, then I can really focus. Um, the best I've done was like 22 and 25,000 words in a weekend. And that was disappearing to family, friends, uh, lake property. I mean, I went over there, I tossed in the noodles and a couple of fishing lines, and I just wrote. I'd come out, smoke a cigar, check the lines, put anything in the, the cage if I caught it, 
man, I ate good. I, I caught a 40 pound and 30 pound cat one time. Oh, nice. but, uh, you know, I, I just cooked up my dinner, go right back to riding. And I just, I banged it out. Um, if I can disappear down to like, you know, pie slingers down here or, or caffeine addicts, I'll sit down and I'll knock out a couple thousand words just because I can put the headphones in, shut everything off. There's no dishes. There's no dogs. There's no chickens, no garden, no yard. There's none of those other things that I'm thinking about because I'm focused in the moment. Um, what was it? Uh, me and two of the minions went off on a writing retreat back in January. Yeah. And just a little cottage over here. Got it for the weekend. I managed right at 16,000 words for the weekend uh, on my Car Wars novel. So that was that was good. That was a nice jump. I think that's awesome. And I think writers don't, you know, I have a friend that loves to just check into a hotel down the street from where he lives. He does live on a boat and it's him and his wife. She's not distractive at all. But what he'll do is go for a weekend, check into a hotel and a hotel that has room service. And he intentionally will not leave the hotel room yeah. and just sit there and write. And he'll order room service and not like fancy, like $10,000 dinners. He just orders the burger or whatever, you know what I mean? And, yep. but doesn't allow himself out of a place where life is not required for him to be there. Yeah. And, and I have a friend that I, I meet up with. We'll call each other up and say, Hey, what do you do? Do you have an open morning? Let's sit at a cafe for a few hours. I need to get writing done. I mean, notice, and it's so funny because people are like, let me get this straight. You two meet at a cafe someplace. And then for four hours, don't talk to each other. And we're like, only when we get stuck. And you always know when the other gets stuck because they go. And yep. you're like, what's the problem? <laughs> you know, that's, all, that's what we're listening for. <laughs> that's one of the great things about doing these little writing retreats. And, you know, if you get on the Airbnb or Verbo or something like that, you can find something local. I mean, this this little cottage, it was literally four minutes from the house. Yeah. And we took everything that we needed. I mean, we had drinks, we had liquor, we had food. We ordered pizza one night. Um. Meg had made a breakfast casserole that all we had to do is take it out of the fridge and shove it into the, the oven, you know, so it was minimalist. And that's all you need. You get up, you stretch, you walk around, get a drink, get a snack, you know, and we had snacking foods like veggies and cheese and, you know, chips, just get up, get something in your belly, sit back down, get back to it. And if somebody's got something, we, we could all tell when somebody's trying to figure something and we start bouncing ideas. Yeah, you I think I think that's important. I think as writers you need to it's been one of my Achilles heels, Val can tell you, because I get so wrapped up in um I was doing remodeling on the house and you think, okay, ah, even though I'm not legitimately doing the remodeling, handling all the people doing it was just nuts. Yeah. And I can't write when I'm thinking about 20 million other things and life is happening to you. You don't get to write when that's going on. It's, it's crazy. Okay. So you're, what you're currently working on car wars. Uh, yeah. Um, somehow or another, I've finagled a licensing contract with Steve Jackson games. Uh, we are doing fiction in the car wars universe. The first being the dead man's run. Um, there's at least three of us writing trilogies in this think, um, cannonball run mixed with death race 2000. Wow. And, you know, they're going, they're starting in different cities 
and they have to get to Sturgis by the the end of the story and and uh, take on the 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 final competition. Um, so fame, fortune, hopefully they survive, kind of thing. Um, and it, it's an interesting universe. It's a light post-apocalyptic, light cyberpunk, uh, set in 2072. So we're we're taking the standard of 50 years from present day. Yeah, it, we started last year. So um, 50 years from present day is where Car Wars is taking place. So in 1980, it was 50 years ahead of that when it was going on. So all that stuff from over the years that's been published over 40 years worth is all back history that we've tapped into. So all these racers and uh, announcers and things like that that are in the game modules, we've pulled that information and we're using that you know, while creating new canon too for the universe. Um, so, Dead Man's Run. Okay. Dead Man's Run. Uh, Burning Roads. It's the first novel for my trilogy. Um, it is done. It's in edit. Steve already read through it and proofed it, loved it. I was surprised, minimal marks. Um, and it's it's surreal. So really I have a question because um on canon creation, because that's one thing we're doing too with um our role-playing game partner is you're allowed to create canon, you can do novelizations, but the agreement we had with them was it legitimately creates canon and there's not going to be takey backsies. So if you prove the novel and you say now there are pink butterflies that shoot lasers out of their eyes. There are now pink butterflies that shoot lasers out of their eyes. Now, now see, Steve has final approval on everything. So if well, he that makes sense. Then, you know, it's gone. And, you know, the really, the, the, the one bad thing about this entire project, which really isn't bad, it's, it's a fair trade-off. Anything we create is a sole property of Steve Jackson Games. So, yes, I get writing credit. Yes, I'm going to get a paycheck from it. But at the end, these aren't my characters. These, this isn't my stuff. It's still Steve Jackson stuff. But to me, that's a worthwhile trade-off because we're doing media tie-in. We're doing game lid, mm -hmm. and it's another notch in the belt. Especially where I'm at in my career, it's going to give me a boost. They're going to be helping to publish and or promote the stuff on their side of things. Um, I'm already talking with Warehouse 23 about carrying the ebook over on their side of things for digital downloads. Um, talking with PSI about potentially getting books in their warehouse to be distributed. So, you know, I'm, I'm stepping outside of the bounds of the standard POD where I'm comfortable and I'm trying to get the information to see how these traditional guys have actually been doing things so I can understand it. Because to me, Having thousands of copies of something that you don't know what you can sell, that makes no sense because I ain't got the cash to spend on that. You know, well, and you shouldn't do that anyway. Like, right. But, you know, and setting it up on like Ingram with returns, I don't have the cash to, to pay for that. If you don't sell it, that's I, no, I can't do that. So I'm, I'm trying to get a better understanding of how they do that side of the, that side of the market so that I can find a way to do a hybrid. Something that's comparable, but good for everybody. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. I, my question was going to be, um, are you guys then going to look at, or has Steve talked at all about um, doing companion modules for Car Wars based on what gets created in these novels? Uh, that's been touched on. There's potential for it. And 
beyond that, we haven't really gone too far into it. I mean, it depends on how it goes. If it's a worthwhile series, people are loving it, then there there's the potential that characters and scenarios and, well, you know, the entire Dead Man's Run race, it could become a game module that we turn around and write and set it up for them to to sell. Thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. That That's sounds so like cool. so much fun. Just okay. having that oh, that door crack and know that you can kind of see in there as the potential is always an exciting feeling. Yeah. And, you know, see, I have, did, do you remember the game Starflight from back in the 80s? Yep. It's, it was the very first open sandbox game ever. And I've got the licensing contract on that. We did an anthology in Starflight in 2021. Yeah, 2021. Um. I definitely got the wind knocked out of my sails with that one because it, you know it was an anthology, okay. Even have had a Robert Silverberg story in it. Oh but wow! He wrote a short story for the Sega Genesis release of the the video game that went into the game manual. He let me repub it because he had it back and it was part of Starflight. Um, but I still haven't made my money back on Starflight, and I put a good chunk into it. I mean, I had music made, I had a video made. You know, I, I went all bells and whistles trying to get this thing boosted, and it just didn't. The community that was is meh. So, you know, I've been sitting back thinking about it a lot more since I've got the contract with Steve, how I can take this and revamp it into something good. I mean, it's a beautiful sci-fi universe to play in. So if we're just straight up writing fiction and the hell with what the game had i mean we still have to adhere to canon but we just tr truck along and write compelling stories within universe and make some nice arcs you know where we can tie together with multiple authors then i think we have a chance of building something great that could potentially give a boost back to the original game yeah and, oh, and I, I, I talk about this a lot that and authors who have a lot of backlist that falls into this realm quite a bit, that there's a lot of them out there, that you have to remember that you want your publisher, whoever you decided to take this backlist to, is these a lot of rights are starting to roll back into the hands of a lot of these authors who have been staples of many of our childhood favorites. They have to remember that their goal needs to be in reintroducing this to today's audience, to today's reader and today's fan, because you've already got yesteryear's fan sold, right? But you want to revive that excitement again. And the only way that's going to happen is that you kind of have to remember of how do I take this product that worked 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago and match the mindset of today's audience and reintroduce them something that was nostalgic. I mean, all these reboots we see, like the Mario movie and stuff like that, you know, people are starting to fall in love with these things again, but it's not the same content that we grew up with. It's brought up to speed with influences at yeah. best. And, well, and we, we did some of that, okay? So... With, with Car Wars, you know, the tech was set in the original game series. Now, the sixth edition, there is no RPG element to it. It's just a straight tabletop car combat game. And um, we went back, we started looking into the, the game manual, seeing how the tech and things were operated. And we've advanced it to where well, we're basically in, today, in today's world with a few advancements past. 
but we introduce things like, you know, uh, the clutch stream. Well, you know, it's just like a Twitch or a Discord. So, you know, the you have to pay the premiums to be able to get in there into the chat room to talk to the, the drivers and the gunners or to get the, the special camera that's in the cab instead of just seeing what the, uh, the announcers are talking about from the overhead um, helicopter cam or something like that. So we, we brought those elements into it for the, today's readers. It's something that they can relate to, you know? Yeah, no, and that's what you have to do. And then you have to run the game at conventions. Yeah. And get people hyped because they love expanding universes. I mean, I I can't even discuss how much, um, you know, the Forgotten Realms and um, those games, you know, Spellba Spellfire. Oh, love that book. Still love those books. But um, I think if I said that to most people now, they wouldn't know what the fuck I was talking about, right? Yeah. So um I think that's important. And then because you know, to what Val was saying is one, reminding people that exist, and two, reintroducing them to this thing that uh reintroducing and reminding the people who loved it that it still exists out there. Like I hear video games now and people go, Oh, do you like I'm so excited that there's a new Baldur's Gate that releases on August 2nd Wait, or something now? Yeah. Oh pc or it's pc well i play on pc i am so excited about that i can't even describe how excited but i've been I saying for that. so many years i really wish they'd re-release Baldur's gate that was such a great game such a my good boyfriend game. went and bought it for me and then i played it again and i was like oh this is not what i remember <laughs> well, I've, done, I've done that more than a few times um, but I it's not that it's that we had so much fun because that was so cutting edge at the time we played it not cutting edge anymore yeah. no 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 no, no it's not. sort of cyberpunk where you're like totally immersive and, and keanu reeves is haunting my, my every <laughs> move hello drinking with authors fans this is your host erica lance because of the change of the format of the show welcome to the literary briefs portion enjoy Okay, rapid fire question time. What is your favorite book of all time? Uh, any of the Conan series by Robert E. Howard. Very cool. Least favorite. Least favorite, yeah. Oh, dear God. Um, oh, I hope Silverberg doesn't hear this. The Sons of Man by Robert Silverberg. Oh. I'm guessing it was an assignment by the publisher... And he's gone again. He's running away. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. The Son of Man. The Son of um, Man. I've got the 1973 version, I think it was, of the book. Wow. Um, it was originally released in 1968. I love the used bookstore that we go to. I get these for like 50 cents. Um, I forced my way through four chapters, five chapters. It is oh. in first person present. And... Uh, it starts out with the main character basically jerking off to God. That, yeah, yeah. What? But, you know, it was wrote in 68. So it's like, okay, this sounds like it was an assignment by the uh, publisher. and um, Or LSD. LSD. <laughs> I don't, probably not with, with Bob, but um, there was another, uh, Regan's Planet that I was reading. And I'd asked him, um where he came up with the idea because it was 
it was so off the wall and and odd for a science fiction novel with the the whole premise of it. He's like, oh no, it was assigned. The publisher wanted that, and he told me they told me to write it. Like, oh, wait, they did that back then? Yeah, that that happened all oh, the time. Yeah. Like, oh, huh? So that what, that's what today. that's what lends me to think this was an assignment, and you know, God love David. And he's gone again. <laughs> I, I know he he's he's hunting stuff on his bookshelf. I love it. See, I'm okay, not the only so, one who does that. So okay, we talked about the Car Wars universe and and the the fiction uh, licensing that we got through Steve Jackson for uh, through Ravens. We're following in the footsteps of TSR, Tor, and Marvel. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Marvel did a comic series. TSR did um, choose your own adventure books. Mm-hmm. And Tor had done a Car Warrior series originally. The first book of that was done by David Drake. I found a copy in a, a co- in a game shop in Kansas. There's wow. no more copies of this anywhere that I can find. Um, Steve actually has book two and book three, which for the life of me, I can't understand why Tor didn't make the co- covers look the same because they are completely different between the three. Um and talking with Steve, you know, David wrote a wonderful story. I finished this one. It's a great story, but it isn't Car Wars. You know, they gave David Drake an assignment. He did the assignment. The other two authors that followed in his footsteps, they wrote books that weren't Car Wars. And I, I haven't read them, but Steve said they were, eh, they were okay. Um, so. I don't know about assigning something. I mean, I've got a nice little stable of authors building up. And if we had something like, you know, the JTF universe or Car Wars or something like that, that we've got a series going on, I could potentially tap somebody that has a skill to do that universe. But if their heart isn't in it, is it going to be worth it? You know? Well, you can look to a lot of... uh Okay. Okay. Uh, I I I I think that now you have opened a can of worms, sir. How dare you? Yeah. See the the thing is this: the the modern day publishers do that still, because what they do is they take an idea of a book, and then go, you know what? We love your book, but the female lead character needs to be changed to a male. You need to change it from a Chicago setting to a New York setting. And we don't want it to end where you ended it. We want you to end it here. That is effectively the same thing as giving somebody something to write. And that happens so frequently. Now, it's one thing to have somebody work with an editor. And you can hire a developmental editor. And I suggest to authors to do this all the time outside of submitting to publishers. Like have somebody that you trust, you believe in, who can review your work if you don't feel it's strong enough. But the moment you present your work, if somebody comes in and goes, nah, change the whole thing. Like redo the thing. We like it, but we want it completely redone. That's what happens. And you- I have the concept of that. You know, uh, talking with Faith Hunter, she's told me about some of the horror stories that she's had to deal with over the years with that same kind of thing. We're like, yeah, no, this doesn't work for us. You need to do this, this, and this. Like, really? Well, look at Stephen King said that they demanded books out of him by a certain time. I mean, he he had some problems that he was dealing with. But that's the other thing is like, you have to sit down with a publisher. We do series, multi-book authors, right? But we go 
We want you to plan out your series. We want to know exactly where right. you're going to go. What are the books now? Obviously it can change. If you get into something, something really clicks and you need to go, but can they think with doing that? Because otherwise, if you're like, you have to do this many books, you have to do it by this time. And that's not how you write. You see, see that, that model, I do not agree with. And, and I've said this more than a few times. I'm not going to make a fortune on Three Ravens from all the other authors that I'm publishing. I'm going to make my money on my writing. I'm helping others with the platform and we're working together as a team, as a community. And I'm not going to harass somebody to get that next book done, especially if they got life going on, because I understand. And if I'm not publishing somebody's stuff, that's okay, because you know what? That gives me more time to write my own and put more in my coffers. But, well, like, okay, Michael K. Falciani, he does the Raven and the Crow series. I've already been harassing him. It's like, okay, dude, where's book three? Because one, I want to read it. And two, people are wanting it. So what's up, man? So I'll, I'll nudge him a little bit. But for the most part, it's like, write your schedule. Do your thing. If I'm not doing the publishing, that's okay. Because I'm writing my own stuff at that point. But what's good about what you just said, and it's not bad to do that, but as an author, you have to understand what you're signing up for. Because there are powerhouse authors that want to get a lot of work done, want a publisher that's going to ride the wave with them and do that. Mm-hmm. And then there are people that want to write. I'm, I know from interviewing 40 billion people on the show, like, you know, I'm writing my next book and I think it'll be out in about three years. And I mean, of course I'm like three years, <laughs> but that's where they want to. That's where they are comfortable. That's where they want to be. That's where they're thinking. And I think that's perfect, but you have to find your symbiotic match when it comes to publishing. Yeah. Sometimes that's publishing independently. You can publish once every 10 years if you want to. Like, that's great. But that's one thing I keep telling baby authors and stuff. You know, I I got to do my my solo talk out at uh, Superstars this past year, The Power of You. And part of that is, um, one, finding your branding. Two, who are you? Where do you want to be? How do you want this to happen? You know, it's you got to figure out what you want. If you're happy being that author that might write something once every three years, go for it. Golden. Don't be pressured by all this other crap that you have to have to have to. If you're happy with doing that, go for it. If you're the one that wants to be the professional cranking out four to six novels at minimum a year, you got to change your habits and you got to make it happen. You have to have the willpower to get up at 0400 every morning. I mean, I get up at 0400 because of when I started the Timothy Dean thing, one of my first interviews on the podcast was Ben Bova. And he was telling me about back in the day when he was running the magazine and he was the lead editor. He brought Orson Scott Card on board. And during all that, the one thing that I walked away with was if you're going to do it, shut up and do it. Set your time, keep your schedule and get it done. And that's why I get up at 0400 unless I am sick or absolutely dead to the world. That's when I get up and I start working. So, you know, you've got to find your happy spot. And if your happy spot is one a year, two a year, three, whatever, go with it. Find your flow, find your schedule and don't be pressured by all the other shit and people like, oh, you need to do this. Well, no, don't, don't sign up for a publisher who, who doesn't match that model. 
yeah you know, or an agent who's going to expect more out of you like that's the important like i said it's a job interview don't yeah. apply for a job that you're not ready to work like that so, and that goes back to researching research who you're submitting to you know like well, you said if they don't publish poetry why the hell are you sending a poetry collection I think people get so like, I got to get published, like it gets fevered versus like they, um, you know, are you lucky to get a publisher? Yeah. But are they lucky to get you? Probably yeah. more so. And you know, what do you bring to the table? I mean, yeah. I honestly do look at social media platforms. I look at their um, online habits. I look to see if, okay, are we actually signing up with a far right, far left, bad shit crazy that's going to cause me trouble down the line? You know, you got to weigh that as the publisher because you don't know what might be coming. Yeah. Oh, no, we we agree. And just for anybody listening that's a writer, absorbing what two publishers are here talking about, and then we're going to ask some more fun questions. Religion and politics should not be anywhere near writing whatsoever unless you write religion and politics because... Right. Well, you know, if you're writing hardcore mill sci-fi or mill thriller stuff that that pulls in the politics and all that well that's one thing no i meant real life politics yeah yeah but well hold on i I was getting to that because like you know i i know a couple of authors that oh my dear god what the hell is wrong with you why did you just go off on this tirade and get banned from facebook again i'm not going to mention any names but it's like it makes no sense to me why you would do that and ostracize even a little bit of a readership you know, I try my best to stay in the gray area. Yeah, I got my own opinions about things and and I try not to spew too much of those opinions because it's going to ostracize people. Well, you know? it is. And the fact is, is it's not a platform where you're having an intelligent debate about something. You're, no. you're, you're throwing it to a throng and you could do an entire 10 minutes of explaining something and they're going to take a 30 second clip of what you said in my lifetime i have had a handful of people that i have actually been able to sit down and talk politics and religion at the same time in a discussion not an argument and that is a rare thing and the funny part is on a deployment of all things sitting down and having a religious discussion with an imam and a um, rabbi. And I'm a good old country boy from Southern West Virginia. You know, that was a beautiful thing to be able to sit there and have an actual discussion about the religions with these guys. And there was no argument. There was no animosity. There was no meanness. And it was beautiful. But well, you're most- also not getting crowd crowdfunding of ideas. Yeah. So... Yeah. Most people, they just want to argue their point to be right, and it doesn't go anywhere. It's, it's a black hole. Um, agreed. Okay, now, um, what is your favorite? I'm going to get back to the questions because we could talk. <laughs> We're going to have you back. We can we talk again. Sure you want have me on here? I mean, I can take you off on tangents you wouldn't believe. Oh, oh, I should would. do an episode of Publisher Talk. <laughs> um. Okay, favorite book that has been um, turned into a movie or TV show that you thought they did very well? Oh, God. Um, He's thinking that's what that pause is, ladies and gentlemen, and people who don't identify. Honestly, um, I was extremely pleased with Ender's Game. 
And I know Card had waited out for years and years and years because, you know, they wanted to turn the kids into teenagers and make it into a love drama and all this and that. And, and he never sold off on it because he didn't want them to ruin his work. And a lot of it, anytime that you sign off on your stuff, it usually gets ruined. Um, well, you will have to remember that most things, it's like fan fiction. Like they're going to tell some part of the story. They can never get a whole book in it. Yeah. Like, you know, the um, you know, Forrest Gump was a terrible book, but the movie was fantastic. The, the, the Hunger Games, the books were beautiful, loved them. And they did justice, I think, with the, the movies. They really. Oh, did. yeah. Those are my favorite. I. That's what she. Well, in Fight Club, I actually think they did a lot of justice to Fight Club from the book. Um, you know, my buddy Ben, um, one of the three Ravens, he'll, he, he will um, probably try to shoot me if he hears me say this. But uh, me and the boys, we sat and binge watched Cowboy, Cowboy Bebop, you know, the anime. Oh, yeah. I'd never seen it. I kept hearing about it. People had talked about it over the years. And just I've never been an anime guy. And I, I really enjoyed it. I really loved that um, struggling on the edge kind of thing. You know, I, I liked the, the, the little man trying to make it. Yeah, right. And it's to me, it was one of the most realistic science fiction future vibes I yeah. had ever experience you know, like, tying in all the extra older the stuff. Betamax and then yeah. going through the pawn shops yeah that that was beautiful so you know we went ahead and started watching the the live action after that and I really think they did that justice Ben will swear against it and I know a lot of people that's like no that's not real cowboy bebop like but it wasn't trying to be the anime because it knew it couldn't stack up though so yeah. it was sort of there's elements that I wish they did put in that they, oh, they should have brought Ed in. They should have brought Ed in a lot sooner. Oh yeah, at the end, you know. And yeah, that that would have been awesome to have them through some more of that. But I think they really did good with it. Well, and, I think that you know a lot of people said that about the Cowboy Bebop, but again, I think it's you have to take it in the context. And did they have a lot of the spirit of it? I think it's very different because the next question is, where do you think they did a terrible job? with translating well um i haven't even watched it so i'll go ahead and say the um um will of time stuff because right off the bat i was i read an article about what they changed to start with it's like no that's not what he wrote you don't change canon like that just to start getting ratings i'm sorry I won't ever watch it because they no, changed no, the I, magic system. It's not the book. Exactly. It's a good series. It's not the book. But I'll never watch it because they changed it. Yeah. No, and I think diehard fans, that's true. But you can also take certain ones where they did not even follow the book whatsoever. Like there's no aspect of the book. Like somebody read a blurb and then decided to make this movie or the TV show. And you're like, um did you did you did now, you read the book now now if they take the basis of a universe and they do something you know so like okay so if they did will of time but they did another aspect of will of time not following with the main characters or anything like that you're following a whole other series that kind of mentions that stuff going on over there that i can see happening because you're not really following what was originally written 
you're yeah, just you, you, dabbling you in carpet on expectations and it, you have a little bit more elbow room to play right you got first. wiggle room in there yeah you know so just like right. i if i ever had the opportunity to write star trek would dear god i would love to write star trek i'm a i'm a trekkie through and through but i would never want to write anything with core characters i want to write my little side tangent over here that's in universe and there might be mention of or maybe a cameo by but that's the extent i think that's oh, what yeah. the mandalorian did well it's because everyone knew it was within the same scope of star wars realm it, and those who weren't introduced to the mandalorian comics and stuff just saw it as this offshoot exploration piece yeah exactly and you can still have fun you can still explore the universe even deeper without touching the initial canon and potentially ruining things you know the the reboot star trek movies i love them and hate them at the same time yes it's supposed to be alt dimension alt history you know star trek's always been about timelines and crap i don't know why gene rod mary got hung up on on alternate timelines and you know the effects that they did were awesome but you know the enterprise is just lifted off from the surface of the planet from underwater what the hell you know okay rapid fire question what's your favorite star trek oh god movie or show e either any of them just the one that is your go-to that you would rewatch a billion times whether oh, it's the end. series or the show over and over and over yeah. uh the original star trek movies wrath of khan that's absolutely my favorite with, with uh search for spock being the next best well uh, i don't know journey home was pretty damn good too um voyager deep space nine had their own aspects i mean deep space nine got into a lot of darker aspects you had a base crew not a ship wandering around they had to deal with stuff constantly from all sides right there so it's a whole other aspect of being deployed somewhere in foreign territory, holding up a, a Ford operating base, you know, mm -hmm. and they're getting into the weeds with, with, with sex and drugs and everything else and all the, the relationships and stuff going on. I mean, was it uh, hell if they had continued deep space nine for one more season, then Garrick and Dr. Bashir were actually going to hook up. It was already planned, but they didn't get renewed for another season. Okay. Next, um, what is your favorite weird food combination? Uh, uh, mm, mm. <laughs> We're all over the place. Yeah, I, I, um, I don't know. I mean, I eat a lot of weird stuff. Um, oh, beans and cheese on toast, I guess. I don't know. Um, shit, okay. anything with hot sauce. Anything with hot sauce. That that's fair. <laughs> that's not a weird food combination. Um. I don't know. You got me stumped on that one. I, I don't know what. See, we're... like my husband puts mayonnaise on his hot dogs, and I look at him like he's an alien every time. Um, <laughs> honey, do I eat anything weird? You would know. Well, yeah, I don't eat mayonnaise, but um, I don't know. I eat pretty much anything. That's okay. Fair favorite flavor of ice cream do what favorite flavor of ice cream um anything chocolate mudslide uh moose tracks uh da, da, the uh, the coffee mocha oh yeah anything coffee mocha oh, nom, nom, nom. 
If you could meet any author, dead or alive, and have lunch with them, they'd be alive when you were eating. Robert E. Uh, Howard. Okay. Without a doubt. And if all goes well on the Superstars track this coming year, I'm stopping at the museum and making the pilgrimage. We're taking the Southern route over to Colorado Springs this year. Very, very cool. Um, What is uh, something that you do writing-wise, like your sort of thing, like do all your characters shrug or nod or bite their lip like what do you do that your editor is like stop, stop it doing this babe <laughs> um probably a shrug or a, a glance maybe or a smile glance. i'm bad i'm glad. Is everybody glance everybody's everyone's glancing. glancing at each other but that that does get glancing clean. over the shoulder i i i do an initial brain puke I mean, I'll, I'll do a brain puke outline to give me a roadmap. Then I will brain puke the novel or story or whatever it is. And then I'll go back and do a cleanup run. And I, I'm at the point that I'm turning out fairly clean copy and giving it to the word witch to do her edits. Oh, here's well, there's the word witch. There, there's the word, word witch. What's, oh, wait. I don't know. Uh, oh, oh. Mama's apostrophe's <laughs> rotation. <laughs> Yes, oh my. What is one of my bad habits? Plurals do not need apostrophes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Plurals don't need apostrophes. Well, they were asking like shrug, smirk, blah. No, blah. no, we're giving examples, but that oh. is a good example. That is a not great example. An <laughs> Did I mention I suck at that whole. And now we know the shirt. Right. That's what she fixes for me. <laughs> Well, as your editor, I'm going to take her word for it because, yeah. He has um, better. Well, that's good. I mean, at least he's not getting worse. Like, yes, as long as it's getting better, there's always, there's always growth. Okay. What about um, reading? What will throw you, have you throw a book down? Uh, get the tech wrong. And then I'm sitting there trying to figure it out and, and, um, a good example, I was editing um, Blue Salvation uh, that Benjamin Tyler Smith wrote for the uh, Fallen World Universe, and um, he had a god rod strike the observatory and like put a big crater in the ground and all that. Uh, do you know what a god rod is? Well, I really want to say it's a penis, but I don't think that's accurate. So. I think Niven was the one that originally came up with it, and it, wasn't he the one that was working for NASA for a while? I think so. Um, You're so talking we, to the wrong person. I don't do research. Have a satellite loaded up with rods of tungsten. That's that, right. That you fire, and it's there's no nuclear or anything about it. It's the kinetic energy of the strike that causes the damage. So he had put in there that, oh, yeah, this thing happened, and it was this big. I'm like, no, 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 no. Whoa, hold on. And I stopped. I went and I did the research, found out for this size crater that he had, he had described that it wiped out this observatory and and went down into the um, um, the armored underbelly and stuff because there was like a hidden vault and stuff like that under there. Like, I, no, okay, so you had that much connect. I started doing the math and I figured out that it was a six inch diameter, twenty foot long rod of tungsten. I forgot what grade of tungsten it was that had been fired at from this altitude, blah, blah, you know all that, it's, and that's what caused it. So, uh, you got to fix this because somebody else is going if i figured it out somebody else is going to figure it out and they're going to bust your chops for it 
Mm-hmm. I, I like how you said that because there's like five people on the planet that would figure that out. And then the rest of us would be like, oh, God's my crater. Moving on. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that that like, no, I, I get caught up on the tech stuff. You give me aircraft or military equipment I'm like, whoa, hold on. Now. I have seen romance novels where there has been a slew of angry reviews. And they're like, it has six bullets, not five. In the clip. Well, what gets me about that kind of stuff, not what you just said, because I wouldn't even, I'd be like, nope, I'm taking that out. It was Thor's hammer. Um, But (laughs) uh, what gets me about stuff like the bullets thing and stuff, fucking Google. You can Google which gun shoots a total of six bullets. Like, Well, okay, so. And if you're using a revolver, they don't use clips. Now, okay, baby authors that are watching this and trying to learn something. One of the most important parts about going to conventions is your networking ability. Mm. You need to network with your peers to learn how to better yourself in the craft and the business. You also have to network with the um, content specialists who know what they're talking about. Scientists, you know, NASA scientists, rocket scientists, nuclear physicists, you know, gun guys. These are the people you want to pick the brains of on these specific things or get them to read your work to give you input of, did I get this right? Because somebody is going to see it and it's wrong and they're going to be like, ah, no, a Glock does not have a safety, you know? My my flex is my gun expert is a gun forensic scientist. So she even knows how to <laughs> proper disposal and what ruins evidence. Well, my gun expert that I usually go to is Taylor Anderson. There you go. Um, he 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 wrote the uh, the Destroyer Men series. Mm-hmm. He's a gunsmith, and oh, yeah. he's especially good on anything flintlock, uh, wheel lock stuff like that. Anything early nineteenth century. Nice. But find somebody. They'll talk to you. Find somebody, or I don't know. Google it. Like Google it. It's not that hard. You can find these things. Yes, you can. So do your research, do your due diligence, because somebody's going to call you out on it if it's wrong. You can call your local gun shop half the time and just ask the question. Oh, you go down there and ask the question, man, you're going to have three or four people standing around and the three guys that walked in while you started the conversation, they're going to join in on the discussion. And then you give them your author card and you uh, say the book will come out in a couple of months and we should buy it. Okay, so, um, oh, well, I don't even remember the name of it. Um, and he's gone again he's gone he's gone again well done val what did you do i'm sorry okay so john got a good one from author services and writers of the future gave me this at dragon con and it's got a lot of l ron hubbard's essays and stuff in it now one of them i had read before um and it was about research L. Ron Hubbard had wrote a a story that involved a Coast Guard cutter and stuff surrounding that. He couldn't sell it. No one would buy it. And he couldn't figure out why. So then he went down to the local dock, talked to the, the Coast Guard captain, got a tour of the ship, saw how they did operations, learned everything he could from the people doing the job, went back, rewrote the story, sold it. For Widowmakers, I went down to the um, 
the um, Warner Robins Air Museum down here in, at Warner Robins, Georgia. They let me turn wrenches on a B-17. I got to climb around on a B-25, on an A-26, and I got to play with the aircraft, smell them, touch them. Um, taking that information and experience and translating it into something, it makes it more real. It makes it more lifelike. So do your research, talk to the people that know the things, and it will improve your craft. My favorite fun fact was, uh, I think it's the book Red Badge of Courage, the Civil War book. Uh -huh. They asked him how he accurately, so accurately depicted the war scenes where they're tackling each other. And he says, it's based off of me playing football. Really? Yep. So even if you can't get direct access to a thing, picking something similar to experience or apply it to is a close second. Yeah. But you should at least do your due diligence. Because also, obviously, he researched the shit out of the Civil War. Which brings me to my next question. Okay. Well, what well, is the weirdest thing you've ever had to research? Oh, God. Um, that did or did not get me on an FBI watch list. <laughs> Both. I I know I'm squarely sitting on an FBI watch list. I and I, my most FBI of us probably are if we, we've done any research or any real research. Um, I write about serial killers. So I may have Googled how to make soap out of people fat. Yes. How exactly? How long will it take in this temperature in this area for a body to decompose? Okay. So for flux runners. Um, it actually took me a long while to write it, but I had a I had a learning curve. You know, that was the first novel, and it was one hundred and thirty thousand words, I think, when I finished with it. Nice. Um, one that absolutely probably landed me on a watch list was looking up certain materials because the fuel. Um, you know, they couldn't get uh, um, brain not worky um, deuterium. You know, they couldn't get deuterium to use. Yeah, yeah, you know, I pulled some Star Trek stuff. Um, but they, in universe, they've got like every kind of possible drive system. But uh, for the Betty, they they were using deuterium. Well, you can use other stuff too, but it's just not as efficient. Well, depending on what you're using, you might have to scrub the system from the previous one so it doesn't interact and corrode the system out. And so, you know, it's like, so I'm looking up what the mass quantity cost of, like uh, hydrogen chlorides or, 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 um, um, oh God, it basically comes down to like bomb making materials is what I was looking up. So I'm looking up prices for bulk purchase so that I could compare it and jump the price up a little bit for in universe. And I, I got done with the research. I'm like, hmm, <laughs> crap. Um, I, I gave up. People used to be like, use incognito windows. I'm like, that, that is not how this works. Yeah, no, that's not going to help. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not how technology works, but thank you. Probably the most disturbing thing that I looked up for flux runners again uh, was really horrible kinks. Uh, because go away, child. <laughs> The kid walked in anytime as a smart writer. Yeah, anytime you barely whisper a word of it, they come through the door. They're just there. They teleport in. Yeah. Um, 
So, you know, I was looking up all this different stuff um, just because the, the, the characters had been out of system, setting up base in this other system and all that. Um, and they get back. Well, as soon as they get back, then all of a sudden, all their, their, their accounts start to reconnect. Well, the main office is watching them. The, uh, um, the, my brain is not working. Damn you guys. Okay. Um, drinking with authors. Drinking with authors <laughs> where you won't Woo! even know your name at the um, end. <laughs> Go team. They, um, they, they get back in the system and all the, the accounts start to connect back to the servers and stuff. So the bad guy's like, hey, they're back. We, we've got proof that they're back now. And, and all of a sudden they're downloading this and that, you know, like game updates are downloading for, for this or that and for the all the different crew members. And this one character's got like, okay, got the, the tentacle hentai and bukkake and and it's like, well, well, the the um um not the professor, the um the the director, yeah. Um he's like, Well, what's that? Like and so the the little no name dude who's giving the report is like uh I don't know if I should say this no go ahead tell me what 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 is bukkake and he goes into the spiel about what it is and so yeah I love the look on both your faces I also write this kind of stuff and I'm like whatever moving whatever. on it's really cool <laughs> so okay um val you get to ask the final question so i'm going to ask one and then you get to ask the final one don't make it be dumb um i want to know if what fictional world you would like to visit really really that's a hard one there's too many yeah i know you have to pick one just one um uh Star Trek. Okay. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, just I'm least le likely to die there. I guess it depends on what color shirt you have on. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> oh, don't even start. <laughs> just Star Trek and jump. Shut up. <laughs> that laugh. See why you call him the Joker. Wait, um, wait, wait, no, Val, wait. final question. <laughs> okay. Baby Heath Ledger. <laughs> oh, fuck. Uh, yeah. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> He's not allowed to ever play the Joker if he goes into acting. Okay. Well, that's not what did him in. You um, could be any kind of creature or supernatural being. What would you choose? It could be mythology based or folklore based. If you could be any of them, what would you be? Um, okay, if I want to go with dirty old creeper dude, then we'll have to go with the invisible man, I guess. Um, <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Ooh. Honestly, werewolf wouldn't be half bad. I mean, as long as you can contain yourself and which werewolf, yeah, which kind of werewolf style werewolf? I mean, classic it, full moon type. Yeah, you, you get immortality that way. Nope. There, there, yeah, there's a downside, but you're not a diehard bloodsucker. <laughs> True. Shameless self-promotion time, my friend. Where can people find you in your books? 
WilliamJosephRoberts.com or at 3RavensPublishing.com. Wunderbar. It has been amazingly fun having you on this podcast. We will absolutely have to do this again. Thank you for having me. No, absolutely. Oh my God, I just said absolutely like three times. It's fine. My (laughs) editor will edit that out. (laughs) Just kidding. That doesn't happen. You can't edit out a drunk podcast. Um, This has been Drinking with Authors, these literary briefs edition. I've been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host has been the absolutely beaming Valerie Willis. Our guest has been William Joseph Roberts. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment, and everything like that. And um, we will see you next time. Woo!